Hello, welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We're two friends who studied archaeology together and love history and crafty things. So, what have you been up to in that sector? I've been cooking a lot of sort of new stuff. But I did start a new cross-stitch project. Oh, cool. Well... You know how sometimes you see a Tumblr post and you're like, I want this on my wall? Absolutely. Soup is customizable, but know your <laughs> limits. <laughs> so I currently have an embroidery hoop with some fabric on it that just says, Soup is limits. I, I don't know. I feel like there really are no limits to soup. One time I put too much potato in a soup and it was basically just like garlic flavoured glue. (laughs) At what point does potato soup become mashed potato? I I think there is a limit to how much potato you can put in a soup. So does that mean that mashed potato is actually classified as a soup? All debates on the internet about whether cereal is a soup. I'm I'm not getting into food taxonomy. Okay, should we leave that one for the uh, the internet to discuss? Okay, so what, what have you been making or baking? Uh, I'm currently in the middle of making rosehip syrup. So Ooh. I picked a kilogram of rosehips today because we have a dog rose bush in our garden, which is abundant with rosehips at the moment. So I, yeah, I picked a kilogram and there's still tons. Um, so that's great because rose hips have a lot of vitamin C. I think we might have mentioned that in, in an earlier episode. We did, um, yeah. Yeah, so really good to, to have for the winter month. Makes um, a really nice infusion as well. Ah, oh yeah, rose hip tea is a thing, it isn't it? like iron brew. <laughs> Just a hot, flat iron brew, but nice. Presumably healthier. <laughs> yeah, less sugar. <laughs> I also um, finished making some shorts and they have tiny otters on them and they make me very happy. Amazing. Yeah. I'll, I'll put a picture. They're great. Uh, it's conquered my fear of like making things that have two legs on them. <laughs> I, I think I saw them on Facebook, but I'm very excited to see them again when you put the picture up. Yeah, I'm glad that I've managed to finish them um, before it became cold again. <laughs> I was I meant to do it all summer, and then I, I finally finished it, and now it's September. But... It's a heat wave when the schools go back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll get a few more wears out of them this year, I think. I'll ask you, though. Are they made of cotton? They are made of cotton. Oh, and that is relevant to our topic today. It is, because I'm going to talk to you about um, what is known as the Lancashire Cotton Famine. Oh, that was a beautiful segue. Thank you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so... I was like, I know what, I know what I'm doing here. <laughs> and then I ruined it by saying that. 
<laughs> so I know nothing about the Lancashire cotton famine. Can you explain to me what what is it? So in the 1860s, the main sort of industry of Lancashire was cotton mills. So importing cotton largely from um, plantations in the Americas, um, turning that into fabric and then shipping it off all over the world. Manchester was known as Cottonopolis mm-hmm. at this time. Um, isn't that also where the um, the nickname for people from Manchester, Willybacks, came from? See, I'm not aware of that being a nickname for people from Manchester. I'm aware of it as being people from near Liverpool, but not actually from Liverpool, is Woolies. Okay, I haven't heard that one. Probably re- referring to wearing sheepskin coats. Ah, I'd, I'd heard Woollybacks as a nickname for people from Manchester because of like going around carrying cotton and things and having bits of cotton stuck to them. Um. Hmm. I'm not saying it's not a thing. I'm just saying it's not one that I've personally heard. Is that, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Exonames evolve over time. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we've got all the cotton mills. We do. And then suddenly, America, well, not suddenly, um, America has a civil war, specifically about slavery the thing that is providing the cotton oh yeah i I have heard of that event um because so basically the reason i wanted to talk about this is there's been a big kickoff about the national trust daring to mention their property's connections to slavery ah yeah now i and one of the properties near me is quarry bank mill which was a cotton mill Mm mm-hmm um, which actually, I think last year, um, hosted this whole evening about the cotton famine, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I, I just wanted to sort of tie that into the sort of things that we talk about, because I th- profiting is probably the wrong word, but working class English people were involved however tangentially with the slave trade yeah um because this is where the cotton that they spun was coming from definitely i don't think you can really um like get away from that when the whole industry is built on it discord is censoring (laughs) you you cut out entirely there oh i said yeah you can't really get away from that when Okay, I said, yeah, you can't really get away from that when, like, the whole industry is is built on it. Hello? Oh, hello. Okay. Yeah. Better? Yes, but I didn't hear anything that you said. Okay, I said, um, yeah, you can't really get away from that when the whole industry is built on it. Well, no, I mean, it's the thing that made Manchester a big city 
it was mm. called the workshop of the world because we had all of these cotton mills mm-hmm. and like i said it was called cottonopolis it was a whole identity oh yeah and certainly i think i mean that's just like that's just part of the history like it's not blaming anyone or anyone's ancestors to say that the cotton industry was built on slavery so yeah by sort of pretty early on in in the in the american civil war still we're talking um 1862 um you had this huge lack of cotton actually coming in okay um which yeah interestingly the confederate states thought would help them to win because well obviously britain would would be like no send us the cotton no matter what okay and and did it not so much <laughs> well i um, mean i i guess it didn't from the way that history went but well, no. I mean, I feel like there's a clue in the fact that Manchester has a statue of Abraham Lincoln <laughs> about how it how it went. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that turned into a lot of cotton mills either closing or switching to wool. A lot of cotton mills apparently got hold of some wool spinning machines pretty sharpish (laughs) that seems i mean there's definitely uh, some parallels to what's going on at the moment yeah um places like uh stockport especially switched to hat making okay which there is a hat museum in stockport which mentions this and it's a very good museum that i highly recommend that sounds cool And a lot, of, a lot of people basically got kicked out of their houses because they couldn't pay rent because they couldn't spin cotton. Okay. Um, and a thousand people emigrated to um, Australia, New Zealand. And interestingly, some people did go to America. Okay. <laughs> um but a fifth of those people were from one town in Derbyshire. Wow. Yeah. So I'm guessing they all settled in like the same place. I am afraid that I don't have this inf- have that information about I exactly just... where they went, but they were offered free passage to Australia and New Zealand. Um, I just love the idea. <laughs> I just love the idea of there being like a town in Australia where everyone is just from Derbyshire. I mean, I've been told that towns in Australia often do have their own little accents. <laughs> so I'm now really like even more localized accents than some places in Britain do. Wow. So I'm now really curious if there are just a couple places where everyone <laughs> sounds really northern for no good reason. <laughs> Except there is a good reason, as we now know. Oh yeah, <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> oh. 
Um, okay, so there's this this quote from 1861, so the very start of the Civil War, um, from the owner of Quarry Bank Mill, mm-hmm. which I think really shows the attitude towards the whole disruption from the mill owners, who were obviously the ones actually profiting from all of this. Mm-hmm. I'm very uneasy about the prospects of business. We are about entering on very dangerous and difficult times, I fear, and the American affairs will be much more protracted and serious than at one time I thought. Calling a civil war the American affairs is so Victorian. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's that's quite a long-winded way to say, well, this blew up more than I expected it to. <laughs> that escalated quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, okay, so um, that that's interesting yeah, so in that. We actually ended up with amendments. Sorry, you go. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I was just going to say, it's interesting in that um, this is happening kind of just after there's been this massive industrial revolution and everyone's moved into the cities and then suddenly, like, the work isn't there. So, like, what? What do you do now? Like, do you go back to the countryside? Do you? Well, yeah. I mean, this work was the driving force of urbanization. Hmm. So, did th- I wonder if that kind of stopped people migrating for a bit, or or not? Yeah, I was saying it'd be interesting to not, to find out if that um, whether or not that slowed or stopped migration from the countryside, uh, at least for a while. Yeah, I mean, people were moving between cities and, like we said, to other countries. But there there doesn't seem to be much evidence of people moving back to the countryside, because I guess once you're in the city, you're kind of stuck there because of the all of the different systems in place in the cities. Mm. Um, and then I guess you probably wouldn't have any anywhere to go if you were trying to go back to the countryside because you've already like left your family home or sold your cottage or um... yeah so you actually end up with um the poor law amendment act in 1830 um sorry start again you actually end up with um changes to the poor law and people commissioning petitioning um the poor law commissioners to provide for these like newly unemployed um spinners and weavers okay um but it included things like having to go to bible classes or women going to church-run sewing classes in order to actually receive what we would now call benefits oh oh no yeah which is, (laughs) is again is so what you'd expect from the Victorians, it's very workhouse adjacent. I guess. I mean, that that definitely feeds into the idea of the deserving poor. Um, yeah. Like, people are only worthy of state support or, of like, charitable support if they are virtuous. Yeah. Which is probably why we ended up with things like the Staley Bridge riot. That that sounds like I was wondering if there was any unrest to do with this. <laughs> yeah. Um. Basically, 
people in Staley Bridge were being given um, basically food stamps. Like you take this ticket to the grocer, you will be given your allotment of food. Okay. Um, so yeah, there were protests and uh, sort of public meetings demanding money and bread, not tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, where obviously they ended up sending in the hussars. Oh no! Yeah, not them again. Yeah, I don't think we've talked about Peterloo. We should maybe talk about Peterloo. Yeah. It doesn't directly fit our remit, but it's it's domestic history. We can probably find some way to shoehorn it in. Yeah. Um. Oh, we could do an episode on banner making. Yes. So yeah, the the riots spread from. I realize if you're not hugely familiar with Manchester, these are just words, but it spread from Staley Bridge to Ashton and Hyde and Duckinfield, and it was this huge thing. So that's like a lot of Greater Manchester. It's a significant portion. Mm-hmm. Um. And the um, MP for um, yeah for where is it yeah um, a local MP uh, John Cheaton who was also involved in the American cotton supply and the subsequent selling of cotton cloth to India um, was basically being harangued by the mayor of Staley Bridge to actually, you know, go to Parliament and deal with this. <laughs> yeah, I would hope so. And everyone blamed so- it. Oh, oh no. Nothing to do with sending in literal members of the army to deal with starving people. <sighs> so, what... What did they actually do then? Like, was there, apart from the um, the poor laws, were there any actual government attempts to deal with it? I mean, it seems to have been pretty much the poor law and suppressing protests. Okay. It's kind of, well, you're not actively starving to death, so what's your problem? Ah, yes. Um, One thing that I like, though, is... um, Yeah, there was a... Yeah. Basically, the people of Manchester um, sort of got together and decided we support emancipation, we support the Union in the American Civil War mm-hmm. and actually received a letter from Abraham Lincoln um, in thanks oh, which wow. is wild that's fantastic I mean that that's like you know people from your your small town writing to George Clooney <laughs> saying like we we really liked your latest film, and like George Clooney writes back to to the people of like 
little wittering being like, thanks for your support. <laughs> The local local politicians, including ones who will probably come up when we do our Peter the episode, um, we're also pushing. You know, we we cannot give in. Our, our people would rather starve. Wow, that's fantastic. And you know, eventually, once the civil war ended, cotton started coming in again, um, at about four times the price. But it, mm-hmm. you know, the mills got back to work, and yeah, now everyone just kind of forgets that the cotton famine ever happened, and that you know, people, people's livelihoods were fed by slavery in the Americas, and. Ordinary people objected to this. <laughs> that is, I mean, yeah. In terms of British history, you do kind of get taught that smooth narrative of the Industrial Revolution happened, and then people moved to cities, and the cotton trade, and the steel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and it, you, you don't really hear about the stuff that went wrong (laughs) yeah it's i don't know i find it interesting oh yeah it's it's super interesting especially to hear how it was dealt with at the time and what people's perspectives were on it at the time yeah like Um, i'm sure that there were a lot of people who were basically like i don't really care my family is starving but there were mm. definitely large groups of people who said, you know what, we would rather be dealing with, you know, food tickets and our own homes becoming basically workhouses than contribute to other people's suffering. Yeah, and I think that's, um, like, not saying it isn't in the South, but that seems to be quite a particular character of um northern working towns at the time um well it's it's working class solidarity isn't it yeah and they're, like they're suffering so that someone else will stop suffering even more and those places are also part of the birth of the trade union movement and um all that kind of organizing and um and pressure for working people to have the vote and access to education and and all of those things. We are going to have to do the next episode on Peterloo and unions and voting and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That would be great. Um, ah, and I can talk about the trade union banners in the People's History Museum. Yes, I miss working there. We've mentioned so many museums, I'm going to have to tag them all when the episode comes up. <laughs> we should do a museum guide of, <laughs> of the UK. So that if you so wanted, you could go on your ultimate museum road trip of the country. <laughs> I, I am keeping note of everywhere that we mention, so that one day we can do a big bread and thread road trip. I, yeah, I've seen the list, it's fantastic. It <laughs> includes a lot of pubs. <laughs> Yeah, like every other place is a pub. 
basically every pub we've ever mentioned on this podcast, we are going to one day. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, you've got to have your dreams, your goals. Hello, I'm Mod, I'm Mod Paper from Probably Bad RPG Ideas, and we have a podcast. If you'd like to hear RPG advice on how to use assorted incredibly bad ideas as actual ideas in an actual game, then listen to the Probably Bad podcast, available on pretty much every podcatcher. And remember to have a probably bad day. So, I, I'm assuming, unless you picked a very one of like a very small handful of things, that local larder will be a little bit lighter. Our main, yeah. to- our main topic. Oh, definitely. Yeah. If you want some light respite, then let me tell you about Yarg. Oh yes. <laughs> tell me all about Yarg. Uh, with pleasure. <laughs> so, um, for those who are uninitiated into the deeper mysteries of the cheese world, Yarg is the name of a particular kind of cheese made in Cornwall. Um, now, the word yarg is a fun one because I thought it was some kind of Cornish term and apparently it's often thought that it's a Cornish word or some kind of ancient name, um, but it actually isn't. This cheese is <laughs> as one of the sources I was looking at um, puts it, um, part of the British cheese renaissance <laughs> in the 1980s. That's a renaissance I want to be a part of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, I can definitely get behind that. If we can like pair it up with dressing like Italian renaissance, but then eating cheese at the same time. I am there. Um, so Yarg is a kind of cheese it, that it's a, a sort of semi-hard cheese that is wrapped in stinging nettle leaves. Um, and that's what gives it its unique flavour. So it's kind of, it, Yarg is delicious. It's kind of like creamy on the outside and then crumbly on the inside. Um, and apparently the nettle leaves chain, like make it more acidic on the outside, so it develops this texture and flavour. Um, it's yeah, it's real good. Would recommend. Yeah, I can I can believe that because the rind of yarg is the best bit. Mmm, mmm, so creamy. <laughs> so uh, yarg was actually a rediscovery. Um, it's it's getting quite popular. You can find it in a lot of markets um, throughout the UK and abroad. It's exported to America now. You can get it through Neil's Yard. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, and it was a revival cheese. So the name Yarg is actually the name of the cheesemakers who revived it backwards. So in the early 1980s, two Cornish farmers called Alan and Jenny Gray reportedly discovered the recipe for this cheese in a cookbook by Gervais Markham from 1615. Um, And I I think we've mentioned Gervais Markham before as a a 17th century cookery writer. 
we have and also this is so naff i'm in love with it <laughs> no this is like a very convenient backstory to this cheese <laughs> Um, oh, we, we have so many stories like that at local louder though it's like oh isn't that a nice story that's definitely not true <laughs> but um that that's the story that they found this cookbook from 1615 in their attic which had this recipe for this cheese which could date back to the 13th century in it and they decided to bring back this cheese uh, and wrapped it in stinging nettles and made it on bodmin moor um in Cornwall <laughs> and um, that yeah that was the beginning of uh, the revival of Yarg and Yarg is the surname Grey backwards it's ridiculous <laughs> it is a very convoluted story for such and uh, yeah, innocent surely the cheese. cheese making might attract the beast of Bodmin more if they're not careful <laughs> it depends if it's particularly partial to cheese I mean it did attract me <laughs> um there yeah there's also a couple of different varieties you can get wild garlic yarg which i really want to try it's the best one. Oh man oh, the flavor so that good. you get from the wild garlic leaves is so subtle wow but it is there oh that's good melting cheese like put put that on a toasty Oh, that is a great idea. I need to do that. <laughs> um, Don't you mean a Tiag idea? Oh, no. <laughs> so, Yarg was... Um, and this is a random fact I found. Um, so, the people who now own, own and um, manufacture... Yarg, which is still based in Cornwall, um, they are quite big on trying to export it. And apparently, Yarg was in the Yarg was on the first flight of Concorde. Sure, <laughs> which I did not know. Um, what? Why not? I well, I don't know the the school system these days. I mean, what are they teaching us? Um, kids need to know about Yarg. <laughs> so, um, also on another interesting note, I found some of this information on a website called cheese.com, which describes itself as the world's greatest cheese resource. I'm going to cheese.com right now. <laughs> so if you want to find out more about any kind of cheese you could ever imagine, even has a category on vegetarian cheeses, uh, cheese facts <laughs> cheese and facts. more, then they have, a cheese, they have a cheese of the day. What is it? Oh, the cheese of the day today is a nice buffalo mozzarella. Oh, yeah. So there you go. Cheese.com for all your uh, cheese needs from the world's greatest cheese resource. This is not sponsored. I just thought <laughs> that this was a fantastic website. Cheese.com hit us up. <laughs> and, yeah, actually, I'd love to be sponsored by cheese.com. I have a Twitter. I'm following them right now. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so there you go. That's the story of Yarg. Um, and I would definitely encourage you um, to 
to check it out if you can. I I am still boggling at that story. Oh, there's also a village in Iran called Yag, apparently. But they don't make I'm assuming cheese. it's a coincidence. I yeah, I think so. However, one could theoretically travel to Yag, Iran and eat Yag cheese. So you'd be eating Yag and Yag. So on that note, <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Um, if you have an episode or local louder suggestion or just a comment, you want to say hi, um, you can email breadandthreadpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at breadandthread. Uh, and we also have a Patreon where you can find recipes and um, instructional videos and all sorts of fun things. We do. If you want to support our eventual um, pubs and also some other places, um, road trip, <laughs> you can go to uh, patreon.com slash bread and thread. Um, is that all our things? I think that's all our things. I think that's all our things. Great. <laughs> um, then in that case, we'll we'll see you next time. Um, go forth, go forth, and um, and make all the things. things. And yeah, and eat yag. <laughs>